The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available pro-access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. And available Pro Power Onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. Price drop? Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. Vlad Tepes. Vlad Dracula, the original vampire, the Impaler Prince. What does someone have to do to inspire a legend that becomes the basis for the most famous monster of our time? Why do we still know of this fairly minor political player from the 15th century today? How much of today's Dracula monster is based on this very real man? Impaling, being boiled alive, being burned to death, disemboweled, hacked to pieces, drowned, buried alive. All of this covered and so much more as we explore the dark, cruel world of 15th century Eastern Europe. The rise of the modern vampire myth and the life of one of history's most notorious sadists. It's time to go medieval. It's time to go full evil. It's time for today's blood-sucking, insanely violent edition of Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Happy Friday, everybody. I'm Dan Cummins, and thanks for listening to today's 700 iTunes review bonus edition of The Suck. Thanks for all you new listeners for joining our growing cult of the curious. I am very excited for today's Time Suck. Uh, thanks for all the iTunes reviews, new subscriptions, new recommendations for others to listen. This show grows because of you. Thanks also for clicking that Amazon button at timesuckpodcast.com to do your shopping. Free way to donate to the show. And for making it to the shop, buying signed books and CDs, buying all three generations of the Time Suck t-shirts, shirts made out of unicorn scrotums, koala anuses, chinchilla labias, only the finest and, of course, the softest shirt materials known to mankind. All sizes are back in stock on the first two shirts, uh, and most sizes are currently in stock for the most recent shirt. Still working on getting some Time Suck hats. Uh, probably take a month or so. Got to get it right. Uh, getting some other stuff. Putting the, putting the most design details so far into, uh, into those hats. They're going to look fucking great. 
Very excited to have awesome help on that. Uh, hope you're digging the new logo designed by incredible artist and graphic designer Andrew Invade. He's the man who built it. He's having a special promotion on his fantastic fine art available in his Etsy shop. It's etsy.com slash shop slash Vaid, V-A-I-D. Please use the code TIMESUCK for 20% off your entire order. Expires October 1st, and all orders over 100 bucks after coupon uh, will get a free bonus sketcher print as well. You can message me from the contact page at timesuckpodcast.com if you can't remember. And he's also a very experienced uh, senior graphic, uh, graphic designer for hire that I can put you in touch with. Uh, and don't worry, while the new logo is now on all TimeSuck social media, the classic logo on the first generation T, still forever part of the show, still there in the shop, still always part of TimeSuck. Uh, special thanks to Eric uh, Vallier, Austin Steers, Matthew Danos, Brandon Maddox, Brett Offenkamp, and anyone else I missed who requested today's Time Suck topic. And now uh, it is time for some Time Sucker updates. Updates? Get your Time Sucker updates. Okay, quick note on the updates. Uh, I realize they've been dragging on a little long recently. I feel like they keep getting longer and longer. Uh, it makes it too long to wait to get back into the story. I love doing these. But there, there is a limit where it becomes a little bit much. And I've, I've listened to some feedback, and I, and I thought the same thing myself. I really did. Uh, so going forward, I'm uh, going to do my best to stick to three updates per show. Uh, I know that means that uh, you know a, a lot more people can't make it on with that, but please keep sending them in. Uh, I, I really love reading them. And, uh, yeah, and I just feel like that's a, that, that's a good amount to, to really kind of like uh, reflect on what's happened before, but also kind of keep today's uh, show moving forward. Always working on making this the most entertaining version of the suck it can be. And the first one is from uh, Jessica Casillas. I appreciate the phonetic spelling you included in the email because you know who you're email, emailing it to. Uh, and the subject is women are physically weaker than men. Now, this is regarding my comments last week regarding the word pussy, uh, the great pussy debate we got into, uh, how I get how it's offensive to some women uh, because of the association it has uh, you know, in, in modern usage with physical weakness and about how, uh, you know, on average, women are less strong physically than men. That's what I said. I threw out some stats to kind of back that up. And, and I also said how it's okay that, that that's that's the way things are and that we're still equal. And Jessica made me feel great about that by saying uh, in her message, to the almighty master time sucker, thank you for explaining that women are physically weaker. I hate going to the gym and hearing women talk about being physically equal to men. We're not. Nothing wrong with that. Just accept it. In regards to the pussy offensiveness, here's some Betty White on the subject. Uh, Betty White apparently said, why do people say grow some balls? Balls are weak and sensitive. Very true. If you really want to get tough, grow a vagina. Those things take a pounding. So, <laughs> that's Betty White's quote. So whenever I want to give my husband shit about his weightlifting, I tell him to quit, you know, uh, uh, being a pair of balls and vagina up. So thanks for being awesome and helping me through my day at work. Well, thank you, Jessica. I love that. And side note, I fucking love Betty White. How cool is she? 95 years old. She's 95 years old, still working, still hilarious. Uh, and by the way, this is so random. But if you get a chance, watch an episode of The Golden Girls. I'm not. I'm not fucking kidding. Probably sounds like I'm kidding. I am not kidding. Uh, hilarious show. The writing holds up. I swear it is as funny today as it was when it came out. And I just love that. Like, uh, I love that that show just got made. By the way, The Golden Girls, because I, I've known enough like network execs where that had to be the toughest fucking pitch ever. It's like, wait, what? You want a show about four old women talking to each other? How is that going to appeal to our prized 18 to 35 demographic? But they fucking did it, and it worked because it's great. All right, and vagina up, you pussies. All right, uh, second update here today is uh, uh, Graham uh, Schweitzer responded to my call to Native American listeners uh, that I made in the Atlantis episode to see if uh, one of last week's idiots of the internet was correct 
in his outlandish claim that all Native Americans have known of the lost city of Atlantis for years. He said, he said, uh, love the episode. Uh, one thing I have to say is the guy who made the remark about Native Americans is a dumb shit. Uh, <laughs> I am a Chickasaw Indian with Native American identification card that proves I'm legit. Granted, I'm not 100%, but I will go ahead and say that this is the dumbest shit I've ever heard. Never in my tribe out of eight Oklahoma have I heard some stupid shit about this nonsense? Obviously, this is an uneducated human being that probably watches online videos all day about this crap in between his porn binges. Again, love the show. Keep sucking, brother. Thank you, Graham. I love uh, in between porn binges. Uh, he's looking that stuff up. And I, and I had other Native American uh, time suckers express the exact same sentiment about this guy is a fucking moron, which which I knew, but it's it's great to hear. <laughs> Oh my God. That was one of my, that was my favorite, uh, idiot to the internet so far. Um, and, uh, last update for today. Many of you, including time sucker, uh, Adolfo Campos have written in, uh, with an HH Holmes update. Uh, my own sister, uh, hit me up about this as well. And this is, there's a show about him on the history channel, apparently right now, uh, called American Ripper, where a descendant of his, uh, this guy, Jeff Mudgett claims among other things that Holmes was Jack the Ripper over in England. And, and just, uh, there's been a lot of, uh, time suckers writing in basically to say like, what do I think about this? And is it, you know, a good update? It is, I mean, needs to be addressed, I guess, because it's out there, but I, I don't buy it. Not for a second. Sorry to be a party pooper. Uh, I haven't watched the show, so in all fairness, I have not watched the History Channel show. I just don't I don't have a lot of faith in the History Channel, Discovery Channel, those networks anymore, being just uh, truthful at all. They're just so sensationalist. I read some reviews, and that was the angle that they definitely also shared, was that it was just kind of sensationalist. And I have actually come across Jeff Mudgett before. I came across him in my initial research. I've watched some of his interviews uh, just on YouTube, uh, and I've you know listened to him talk, and he seems fucking a hundred percent wackadoodle to me. I know he was a lawyer, I know he had a good career, but you know just because he had a good career doesn't mean you're not fucking Looney Tunes. And he seems like a nut. Uh, he seems crazy in his eyes. He seems crazy in his demeanor to me, like a subtle crazy, but it's there. And I just, uh, you know, I just think he wants some kind of attention for this. He desperately wants something to be true that I don't think is true. Like, yes, H.H. Uh, H. Holmes' whereabouts were not accounted for. Yes, he may have been in London at the times of Jack the Ripper's uh, murders, but so were a lot of fucking other people. And and the and the crimes, the way they were committed, doesn't necessarily fit the kind of crimes he committed, which were generally for money was the main purpose uh, here in the States. And he didn't just kind of like leave bodies laying around. And there's, and there's no evidence at all. Like it's 100% speculation based on his whereabouts being unaccounted for at the times of these crimes. But you know what? Pretty much everybody's whereabouts were unaccounted for uh, back then. You know, because back in the days before GPS tracking and transa- transaction records being recorded for like every single sale ever. You know? So it's, I, I don't know. I just think it's kind of nonsense. I, I do think uh, Holmes may have killed a crazy amount of people in Chicago. I'd be willing to bet he killed, you know, over 100 people there before I, I'd buy that he killed anyone in England. Uh, but let me know, anyway, how the finale ends. Maybe they will uncover something groundbreaking. I fucking, I doubt it. But but maybe they will. And uh, and let me know if there's some some legit kind of new evidence that comes forward. Please, please do that. And speaking of killers, let's get into Dracula. Thanks, time suckers. I needed that. We all did. Oh, man. The Count. Remember him from Sesame Street? Purple dude with a black suit, cape, monocle for some reason, who loved to, uh, you know, count. There's one bat. Ah, 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 ah. Two. That's two bats. Ah, 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 ah. Three. Three bats. <laughs> the guy loved to laugh at his own counts. And then there was uh, Count Chocula with his chocolate sweeties. Remember the chocolate sweeties? Uh, the dude who hates Frankenberries? Fucking no one hates Frankenberries. More than Count Chocula. You find me, the person who hates Frankenberries more than Count Chocula. 
And I'll fucking, I don't know, believe that H.H. Holmes was Jack the Ripper. Uh, yeah, Frankenberry's really chapped his ass. What about Count Ducula? Do you remember him? He's not, he wasn't as popular. Weird little dude who lived in a castle, Castle Ducula. The rare uh, vegetarian vampire. Uh, the super rare uh, vegetarian vampire duck. Plan. Oh, shit. Yeah, Count Duckula. I forgot he played the harmonica. Talented, talented little Count Duck. Man, there's uh, all kinds of cartoon vampires showing up in like Scooby-Doo, Hotel Transylvania, Blade, uh, Blood, The Last Vampire, Buffy, the animated series, you know, on and on and on. How strange is that, that all these silly characters can be traced back to a real dude who is anything but kid-friendly? Unlike Frankenstein or the werewolf, uh, vampires, as we know them today, can be traced back largely to Bram Stoker's Dracula. And that character was largely based on a real dude, Vlad Dracula. Vlad the Impaler. Think about how truly well-known the monster of Dracula has become. Like, how many books have been written about vampires? How many comics? How many films? TV shows? How many millions have been made off of kids' vampire Halloween costumes alone? It's been from dusk till dawn, the Lost Boys, Let the Right One In, 30 Days a Night, hundreds of other uh, uh, movies. Vampire movies have been uh, permeated our cinematic consciousness since 1922 silent film uh, Nosferatu. There's True Blood, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, The Vampire Diaries, The Originals, The Strain. Vampires have been a regular fixture of TV viewing since uh, before the Munsters hit the screens in 1964. Remember that show? I used to watch that after school for some reason, right after Leave It to Beaver, Leave It to Beaver, because I was a fucking weirdo, I guess. Maybe because we only had four channels in Riggins, Idaho. Uh, yeah, there's Grandpa Munster. You know, he, he was Vladimir Dracula, obviously, uh, and <laughs> inspired by the real Vladimir Dracula because he was also the Count of Transylvania. Uh, little Eddie Munster and his Widow's Peak. I used to get compared to him with my Widow's Peak hairline. Uh, Lily Munster, remember her? Remember her? Uh, that actress, Yvonne DiCarlo? She actually did some pinup photo shoots when I Googled her. I was pleasantly surprised to find some of her pinup work. Uh, anyone else have an early puberty crush on her? God, she was, she was stunning. She was stunning in, in character on the, on the monster show. She was still stunning. Or what about Elvira? Elvira may have gotten me into the whole pinup look single-handedly, actually hot vampire women. Love it. Uh, anyways, it's been a lot of books. I've uh, been Stephen King, Salem's lot and Rice's interview with a vampire. Uh, goodreads.com lists over 1500 adult vampire books going back to Bram Stoker's Dracula. And while Bram Stoker's, uh, 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 Dracula version of the vampire is the one most associated with both the modern vampire and Vlad the Impaler. Stories and folklore have told of blood-sucking monsters all over the world for centuries. Uh, the Persians of ancient Mesopotamia, one of the first civilizations thought to have tales of blood-sucking monsters, creatures attempting to drink blood from men, are depicted on old excavated pottery shards. Uh, the Betsilio people of Madagascar tell of the Ramanga, a living vampire who drinks the blood and eats the toenail clippings of nobles. Of nobles. Seriously. Wait, what? Nail clippings? Nail clippings. That's an odd touch. Uh, not sure why that detail is included in their mythology and how that is supposed to add to the tear. That seems really, really dumb, actually. Just you to be careful not to awaken the great Ramanga. If you dare disturb his tomb, he will surely drink your blood. 
And if you have also recently clipped your toenails and and still, you know, have have yet to throw away those clippings of the said toenails, he he well, he will he will eat those toenail clippings too. Also that. But but mostly the blood. Please don't focus too hard on the on the toenail part. Mostly focus on the blood part. It's ridiculous. Uh northern India there's the uh, Brahmarak Shasa, a vampire-like creature with a head encircled by intestines and a skull it carries from which it drinks blood. Way scarier than toenail clippings, dude. Head encircled by intestines. That's fucking, that's good scary shit. That's some good monster detail there. So is that skull cup kept around for blood. That's going to keep the kids from misbehaving. Do you want Do you want to go to your bed or do you want an old skull cup to get your ass? That, well, that's what I thought. Uh, legends of female vampire-like beings who can detach uh, parts of their upper body, uh, odd detail, uh, occur in the Philippines, Malaysia, Cambodia, Indonesia. There's the uh, Asman vampire, uh, A-Z-E, a vampire from Suriname in South America, north of Brazil. Not to be confused with the Asmen of Brazil. Totally different group of dudes. Uh, interested more in booty than blood. Uh, the Asman can transform into a bat, and according to some myths, the Asman can actually shapeshift into many creatures. Uh, the Asman vampire is a living vampire that is most often described as a woman vampire. She can walk uh, during the day and is not distinguishable uh, from humans. At night, she becomes a blood-sucking creature. And then there's the Strigoi. Uh, you've heard that term if you've watched The Strain on FX, as I have, or if you've read the trilogy of The Strain books, uh, which I have, uh, or have read the graphic novels, which I also did, uh, Guillermo del Toro. And, uh, oh, my God, I didn't write it down. I'm blanking now. I wasn't going to reference him. I think Chuck Hogan is the other dude who wrote him. doesn't matter. Uh, anyway, I, I got, into, uh, got into that show uh, real hard for a while. But anyway, the Strigoi are, are the vampires of Romanian folklore. No one knows for sure if this legend predates the life of Vlad the Impaler Dracula or not because uh, the Romanian people didn't develop a written language until the 16th century. So they were uh, a little late to the written language party. Uh, the Romanian people, i.e. gypsies, uh, believe that the Strigoi – were troubled spirits of the dead rising from the grave. Uh, some Strigoi can be living people with certain magical properties. Some of the properties of the Strigoi include the ability to transform into an animal, invisibility, the propensity to drain the vitality of victims via blood loss. There you go, your, your vampiric uh, traits there. Obviously, some of these traits help form the vampire of today. And according to their folklore, uh, this is how you kill uh, one of these demonic blood suckers. You can exhume the Strigoi and then remove its heart and cut it in two. Or drive a nail in its forehead. You can place a clove of garlic under its tongue. Smear its body with the fat of a pig killed on St. Ignatius Day. Uh, that's a weird one to add there. I feel like if you if you have options, if you can just like either place a clove of garlic under its tongue or put a nail in its forehead uh, or, cu- or, or cut its heart out or get uh, fat from a pig killed only on one day and then smear its whole body with that. Who's choosing that instead of any of the other options? Um, you can also turn his body face down so if the Strigoi were to ever wake up, it would be uh, headed to the wrong spot in the afterlife. <laughs> so there's that. Or you can shove a, uh, a ripe turnip up its ass. Okay. Uh, I made that last one up. I made the turnip one up. But did it really seem that much weirder than the, than the rest? I don't think so. Uh, you can see with the garlic and the driving of a nail, which became a stake, a stake that moved from head to heart, that clearly Bram Stoker was familiar with this legend when he wrote his book, uh, especially considering the fact that he set the home of Dracula in his novel, in Transylvania, which lies in Romania, where this legend originates. And then there's another Romanian monster of old, Nosferatu, uh, Nosferatu uh, the title of the first vampire movie. Uh, and also in, in 1861, in a book titled Romanian Superstitions, Nosferatu is attributed, just like the Strigoi, to Roma, Romanian folklore. 
Uh, one possible explanation of the origin of this legend, or at least the origin of the word Nosferatu, uh, which has been accepted by many historians, is that Nosferatu is derived from an old Slavonic word, uh, uh, Nosfer, Nosferatu, uh, which was apparently itself derived from the Greek Nosophorus, uh, Nosophorus, yeah, meaning plague carrier or disease bearing. Well, it turns out like many vampire, uh, you know, like tales and legends were associated with animals such as rats and bats, animals that were either bloodsuckers or animals that transmitted deadly diseases in ancient times or both. There is a, a strong historical correlation with tales of vampires and the spread of horrible diseases like the plague uh, because they didn't understand viruses and bacteria back then, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, they just, just blame the a boogeyman or monster for what scares you or kills you. Uh, 19th century British author and speaker Emily Gerard introduced the word Nosferatu to Western Europe in an 1885 magazine article, Trans Transylvanian Superstitions, and in her travelogue, The Land Beyond the Forest. Uh, she merely refers to it as the Romanian word for vampire, saying, More decidedly evil, however, is the vampire or Nosferatu, in which every Romanian peasant believes as firmly as he does in heaven or hell. There are two sorts of vampires, living and dead. The living vampire is in general the illegitimate offspring of two illegitimate persons, but even a flawless pedigree will not ensure anyone against the intrusion of a vampire into his family vault, since every person killed by a Nosferatu becomes likewise a vampire after death, and will continue to suck the blood of other innocent people till the spirit has been exercised, either by opening the grave of the person suspected and driving a stake through the corpse, or firing a pistol shot into the coffin. In very obstinate cases, it is further recommended to cut the head and off and replace it in the coffin with the mouth filled with garlic, or to extract the heart and burn it, strewing the ashes over the grave. Again, uh, some simple options there, and then some real complicated options. Um, look at that, steaks, garlic, one vampire creating other vampires, all kinds of modern vampire shit uh, coming out of old Romania. Uh, now, whether or not this Nosferatu uh, truly is a legend of ancient Romania or some other place, or even Emily Gerard's imagination, has since been kind of debated and disputed. Uh, but what isn't disputed in this description is that this description, excuse me, combined with the legend of the Strigoi, combined with the real Vlad the Impaler Dracula, are what formed the basis for Bram Stoker's imagining of his incredibly famous and influential mythic monster. And so before we talk about the man behind the monster, let's talk about the creature Bram created, because that's uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula is like... You know, that, that put Dracula on the fucking map worldwide. And when we think of Dracula now, we think of some version, generally, of his Dracula. Uh, Stoker's Dracula is an undead, centuries-old vampire and a Transylvanian nobleman living in a Transylvanian castle. Unlike the vampires of Eastern European folk folklore, uh, creatures that tended to be repulsive, kind of corpse-like, you know, creatures, uh, Dracula has an aristocratic charm and speaks of boyar heritage. He was a soldier in life, a statesman. Uh, Vlad, Dracula, Vlad Dracula, the real Dracula, uh, you know, was also a soldier and a statesman. He was also a nobleman, a prince, in fact, uh, who did have boyar heritage. And he also lived from time to time in Transylvanian castles. So, again, a lot of basis in the real dude there for this character. And then because, after all, he is writing fiction, uh, you know, Stoker amps up the paranormal, revealing that the Count studied the black arts at the Academy of Scholomance in the Carpathian Mountains. And he has a deep knowledge of alchemy and magic. Uh, Stoker's Dracula led men into battle against the Turks, uh, just like the real Vlad the Impaler did. Stoker also describes the Count as a man who is as cunning, or, or, or a man who is a very cunning and clever military leader. And as you'll find out today, Vlad the Impaler was also known for being exceedingly clever and cunning. So many parallels, uh, so many similarities. And then Stoker adds more supernatural elements to his mythical creature, giving his creation the strength of 20 men. He does not cast a shadow, 
or have a reflection from mirrors. He's immune to conventional means of attack. He can defy gravity, disappear and reappear at will. He has limited command over animals such as rats, owls, bats, moths, foxes, and wolves. He can manipulate the weather, creating fog, for instance, he can disappear into. He can shapeshift and become a bat, a wolf, a large dog, and a fog or mist. His penis is 17 inches long, but only half an inch around, and is as black, hard, and sharp as obsidian itself. Okay, you know, you know hopefully that I made up that penis thing. But how, how much scarier would that make him? If they added that detail. What a fucking fun, strange detail to add to the Dracula lore. Let's start adding that. From now on, <laughs> from now on, when you tell people about vampires, please throw in all the normal stuff and see if you can slide in the weird obsidian penis detail. Right? From now on, vampires have very long, very hard, very thin, and very sharp black as midnight penises. True needle dicks. You know, somehow the, the needle kind of vision fits with the blood sucking, I think, somehow. Anywho, uh, uh, Stoker's Dracula, I always want to call him fucking Stroker. Every time I see Bram Stoker, I have to fight not saying Stroker. Mr. Stroker! Stroking to the east, stroking to the west. Oh, man, that song's always in my head on some level. Uh, from, <laughs> from some, Clarence, Clarence, what is that? Clarence Booker? Clarence Carter? Whoever fucking wrote Stroking? Why is that in my head right now? Uh, uh... <laughs> I heard that song a bunch of times in college and it's just stuck. It's just, it's like embedded in some part of my brain that was damaged and it was unable to release the memory. And whenever I see Stoker or Stroker, that Clarence, whatever his name is, song just starts playing in the back of my mind. Stroking to the East. Um, anyway. Okay. So Bram Stoker, uh, uh, for some reason, uh, had most of his traditionally vampiric of powers. Uh, he, he can create other vampires by biting them. And once he's created a new vampire, he's a, he's a type of hypnotic or telepathic uh, control he has over them. Uh, and these new vampires are now his minions, but not like the fun minions of today, not the cute little yellow ones we think of, you know, from the cartoons that say, be-doo, be-doo. Not those guys, uh-uh, other vampires. He also has the power of necromancy. He can raise the dead. I love that word, necromancy. The dead shall rise. One dead person. Ah, ah, ah. Two dead person. Three corpses rising from the grave, children. Uh, Stoker's Dracula's powers are also limited. He loses almost all his powers during the day. Sun doesn't actually kill Stoker's Dracula. Uh, that feature of vampirism uh, is amped up later, kind of in different versions of vampires, but it does hurt him, and it leaves him, again, vulnerable to kind of being killed. Um, he's also repulsed by garlic, just like the Romanian Strigoi, as well as, uh, sacred items and symbols such as crucifixes, sacramental bread. For in Stoker's telling, Dracula is rumored to have received his powers from the devil himself. You know, the Satanic Association comes largely from the real Vlad Dracula, because Dracul can mean either dragon or devil in Romanian. Uh, the name came from, uh, Vlad's father, the original Vlad Dracul, receiving that name. Dracul, uh, for joining an order of knights. Uh, knights on the round table is kind of a group of crusaders known as the Order of the Dragon. He became Vlad Dracul, and his son became Vlad Dracula, or Dracula, meaning son of the dragon or son of the devil. And Dracula's satanic association also came from medieval Christians associating pretty much anything bad and, you know, evil or, or monsters, you know, just with the devil. You know, all bad people, bad habits, 
It all came from the devil. Kind of envious, actually, how simplistic that would have been. Make life so much simpler if just, you know, you didn't have to have any deep questions or concerns about anything about, like, what somebody's motives are or why someone's doing something or being manipulative, what psychological, you know, phenomena is going on inside their mind. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's the devil. It's just always the devil. Damn, damn that damn that devil making me lust after the neighborhood neighbor lady. Damn devil tricking me into stealing the other neighbor's goat. Damn devil guiding my, my palm around the base of my penis shaft at night. Making me think about the demonic, voluptuous tavern wench. Enough, devil. Enough. Uh, you can also uh, uh, trap Stoker's Dracula in a coffin in which it sleeps by placing a branch of wild rose upon its tomb. Not sure where that comes from. Uh, and you can kill it with a sacred bullet and uh, in, in other ways. And in the book, Count Dracula is killed by a knife to the heart. Just a metal one. Uh, it's not sacred or anything. After he's attacked during the day when his powers are useless, his head is also cut off. Uh, and Vlad the Impaler was killed. There's another parallel. His head was also cut off. Said was cut off and uh, brought to the uh, the sultan uh, that he was kind of fighting at the time. This Mehmed, we'll talk about later. Coincidence? Probably not. Probably not. The old wooden stake mythology wasn't included in Stoker's version of the tale, but Romanian legends did speak of killing vampires, the Strigoi and Nosferatu, with a wooden stake from time to time. Uh, does the stake come from Vlad Dracula's much preferred method of execution? Because no one loved killing people with a wooden stake more than Vlad Dracula. Dude, never he never came across a sharp piece of wood that he didn't love so much. He wants to stick it in somebody. Seems likely to me that there's some kind of association between the wooden stake uh, now used to kill a vampire and the wooden stakes Vlad the Impaler impaled people on. Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, by the way, so, uh, a source I rely on heavily for for this episode is uh, is Dracula, Prince of Many Faces, His Life and Times, uh, Radu R. Florescu and Raymond T. McNally. It's one of the better books I've read uh, on the episode so far. So much information. They really like painstaking research. These are like the 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 best experts on Vlad Dracula uh, in in the world. And so let's talk about the man behind the monster. Let, let's suck upon the Impaler himself. Hail Nimrod, please, please give us some sweet 15th century suckage. Pierce us with the wisdom of the great Impaler, all-knowing Nimrod, god of the suck. Soon, soon, it'll happen soon. But before uh, we dig into Vlad Dracula's life and the hor- horrific atrocities associated with him, let's give his life some context. Because when you talk about these dudes without giving them some context, it's like, if you just start talking about some crazy medieval shit going on, but don't relate that, you know, that it was fairly common for the day, it makes these people seem way crazier than they may have actually been. <laughs> like, like, Vlad would be off the fucking charts. Like, like if you think about, like, what goes on in the news, just in general, if Vlad, Vlad the Impaler was just impaling people willy-nilly and torching people left and right today, he would, there would be, he would be a media sensation unlike anything we've ever seen. But, uh, but it was somewhat more normal, somewhat, uh, in, the, in the crazy 15th century world of Eastern Europe that he lived in. Uh, in the time of Vlad Dracula, in the mid-1400s, Martin Luther had yet to reject the Roman Catholic Church and form Lutherism, which would then splinter into all the various denominations of today's Protestant Christianity. Uh, that wouldn't happen until 1517. The Anglican, uh, Anglican Church of England uh, wouldn't break off from Rome and the Vatican until 1534. In Eastern Europe, uh, you, you did uh, now have the Eastern Orthodox Church, which uh, had officially broken off from Rome during the Great Schism of 1054, but really had been run uh, outside of Rome for, for centuries already. 
From the 4th to the 11th century, Rome had been linked with the Holy Roman Empire of Western Europe and was its religious capital, while Constantinople was the capital of the Byzantine Empire, a, a rival empire to the east, and church leaders were you know, there were you know, more linked with the culture and people of Eastern Europe than Western Europe and the Vatican. And then in 1054, they just officially split into two distinct church hierarchies. Uh, you also had the Ottoman Turks living in present-day Turkey, Muslims who wanted to advance their territories and culture into Western Europe. Uh, Central and Western Europe, you know, everyone wanted to spread their faith, and by faith I mean personal wealth and power and influence. Uh, there was also a few Jewish settlements in Eastern Europe during the life of Vlad, but uh, they mainly lived to the north of Wallachia and Transylvania in the Kingdom of Hungary, and uh, they didn't have the numbers or influence at that time to hold any kind of political or military uh, pull whatsoever. Not, not significant uh, at all or really mentioned at all in this story. So essentially there were three major powers. Uh, the countries, provinces, and towns aligned with the Holy Roman Empire, uh, religiously headquartered in Rome, but politically and militarily kind of centered in present-day Germany. And then the second one, you have the countries aligned with the Eastern Orthodox Church, primarily headquartered in Constantinople. Uh, the Romanian people of Wallachia and Transylvania, many Hungarians and others were aligned with them. And then finally, you have the Islamic Turks to the southeast. And, and present-day Romania was, was pretty much right fucking smack in the middle of all these three major powers. And so a lot of diplomacy had to go on in Vlad's day in Wallachia. Uh, especially in Wallachia, you know, situated, you know, uh, in present-day Romania, just south of Transylvania, also in present-day uh, Romania, was Transylvania, and, and and Vlad was a prince of Wallachia. His father and grandfather also ruled this land, uh, and he had more ancestors uh, that were rulers. They all had to deal with a lot of different factions. In addition to being a butcher, uh, Vlad was also an amazing diplomat, schooled in a variety of cultures, speaking numerous languages. Yeah, because again, Wallachia butted right up against the Ottoman Empire, like literally bordered it. So whenever the Turks wanted to push into Europe, they pushed into Wallachia first, you know, lucky Wallachians. And, and the Kingdom of Hungary, a nation sometimes aligned with the Eastern Church and sometimes aligned with Rome, uh, wanted to fight back. They would push back right back through Wallachia. So basically, it fucking sucked to be a peasant from Wallachia in the 15th century. Like in, you know, again, present day Romania, you were just, you were always getting sacked by someone. Someone was always uh, either trying to take you over or pushing through your fucking town where, you know, they weren't being like super friendly, trying to go kick somebody else's ass. And there was very little stability there, very, very little political stability. Uh, within Wallachia, there were also, um, you know, different communities. There were Saxon settlers from the north who tended to align with the Roman Catholic Church. And then there were the local Romanian followers of the Eastern Church. And uh, so they would fight amongst each other somewhat. There was just so much turmoil. You know, a lot of little towns making a deal with the Kingdom of Hungary one day, and then the Turks the next. Deals made with Rome, deals made with the Kingdom of Poland. Uh, there were several other countries and principalities, uh, most ran by various warlords who held various titles, and they were always making deals with somebody, always trying to fucking align with somebody. And leaders themselves uh, were also constantly getting killed or ran out of town. Territories constantly trading back and forth, the boundaries of territories constantly in flux. Uh, and this is important to understand in today's story, you know, uh, because... In general, leading through benevolence uh, didn't really work. To lead this part of Europe at this time, you had to make your enemies afraid to fuck with you if you wanted to stay in power for, for any, any, any length of time at all. You had to make your followers kind of afraid to challenge you as well. Uh, you know, and, and Vlad wasn't the only scary ruler, not by uh, any means at this time. You know, there was like the, the king of Naples in Vlad's time, Ferdinand I, not only had his enemies killed like every ruler did back then, he had them uh, essentially uh, stuffed. He had a mummified. He had a thing about that. He had his fucking enemies mummified, and then their bodies dressed up as they had dressed in uh, in life, you know, at the time they were killed. And then he would place them in the royal museum, like to be on display, like just fucking standing there. Some dude he had killed, and he had a whole hall of these people he had killed. 
and uh, these, you know, these former political rivals. And then he would meet with current political rivals, you know, uh, and he'd meet with them in the in the museum grounds. So they'd literally be surrounded by previous opponents he had killed. N- not a very subtle message of, you know, you can do it the, the way I want, or you can fucking end up part of this little display I got going on here. I mean, that's pretty sick. Uh, also, medieval uh, torture devices like the rack and the wheel are, are routinely being used by various rulers. Uh, the Turks were fond of, like, sawing the occasional dude in half. People are being beheaded on the reg. Uh, leaders are constantly being killed by someone else who wants to take their shot on the throne. I kept thinking of Game of Thrones while researching this episode. Very Games of Thronish. I always thought Games of, Game of Thrones was pretty, like, you know, out there, pretty outlandish. And it is with some of the paranormal aspects. But as far as the, um, the intrigue... And, and the fighting and the people challenging each other for the throne all the times. Oh, man. It was totally like that. Absolutely like that at this time. And, and these are the times that Dracula lived in. So, so now that the stage has somewhat been set, let's dig into greater detail as we examine the life of Vlad Tepes, Vlad the Impaler, Vlad Dracula, with the bloodiest time suck timeline done so far. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a time suck timeline. All right, we start off in 1431. Vlad was born sometime between 1428 and 1431, uh, most likely in 1431. Uh, Dracula was born in Zikashwara, a city founded in the 12th century uh, when German craftsmen and merchants known as the Transylvanian Saxons were invited to Transylvania by the king of Hungary to settle and defend the frontier of his realm you know, from the Turks. One of the safest cities in Transylvania in the 15th century was surrounded by a giant thick stone wall with giant defensive towers up to 10 feet thick. Towers called bastions uh, with arrow slits and openings to pour hot oil on attackers. One of the richest cities in the area. Uh, they manufactured jewelry, you know, made jewelry and other fine goods there, traded it around Europe. And uh, Zygeshwara sat in Wallachia, uh, which lay directly, as I said, south of Transylvania, a province of modern-day Romania that in Vlad's day was somewhat sovereign. Uh, I say somewhat because uh, back then it was always, you know, for the most part, uh, aligned with somebody. It was always aligned to a certain degree with someone, uh, you know, usually with, like, the Kingdom of Hungary to the northwest, occasionally uh, uh, with the Kingdom of Poland, uh, north of Hungary, uh, most of the time through Hungary or through, its, uh, you know, uh, separate means aligned with the Holon, Holy Roman Empire to the west of Hungary. Uh, and sometimes, you know, they'd have multiple places it would kind of be allied with. And occasionally also with the Ottoman Empire to the southwest in Turkey. Uh, you know, like the Ottomans uh, would allow it to, to them to govern themselves, but there was always some kind of condition, some kind of tribute that had to be paid or something, some sort of treaty that was formed. Uh, Vlad was born the son of Vlad II Dracul, Prince of Wallachia. Not known exactly uh, who his mom was. Record-keeping was not tip-top at this time in this land. Again, the Romanian people didn't develop a written language uh, until a little while later. And they didn't have, like, you know, court historians like some other places in Europe did. So they they just didn't keep the records that some other places in Europe kept around this time. So a lot of it's lost to history. Uh, And in addition, uh, several, you know, um, to having several wives over his lifetime, uh, Vlad Dracul had numerous mistresses. So it's a little confusing who uh, uh, Vlad the Impaler's mom was. Because uh, for a claim to the throne, it didn't actually matter who the mom was in this area at this time. You just needed to claim descent from male royalty to lay claim to the throne. Uh, Vlad had an older brother, Prince Mercia, and a younger brother, Radu. He also had numerous other half-siblings, including uh, another Prince Mercia and another Vlad, Vlad the Monk. Uh, first names associated with male ancestors of renown were, were common, and you could just have numerous siblings of the same first name in the same family. How fucking confusing would that be? Just, uh, Vlad, Vlad, come here. Vlad, No. No, 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 not you. Vlad. No, not not you either. Vlad. God damn it. I already said not you, you fucking halfwit. Vlad. Hey, Vlad. Uh, hey, uh, 
Ah, shit. Uh, God damn it. I forgot what I was going to tell you. Oh, oh, wait. Uh, uh, Vlad. I said not you. Well, Vlad came from a long line of rulers uh, who had ruled various areas of present-day Romania, starting at least as far back as Basarab the Great, who ruled in Wallachia in the mid-14th century. Uh, his grandpa, uh, Mercia the Great, ruled uninterrupted in Wallachia, rare at that time, uh, from 1386 to 1418. Uh, however, while he was technically the head of Wallachia, Mercia also signed a truce with the Ottoman Turks in 1393, submitting both a tribute, uh, a large amount of money to be given yearly, and he would hand over also uh, many of Wallachia's young men to the Turks each year to be raised by the Ottomans and conscripted into their army, another means of keeping Wallachia subservient to Islamic rule. How fucked up is that for peasants? You know, your leader, your prince signs a deal to hand your sons over to a foreign ruler. Uh, but it's not like he had a lot of alternatives. You know, the, the main alternative was to be fucking destroyed. Do you want to hand over your sons or do you want to all die? There was a lot of deals like that being made at that time. And also part of this deal, uh, it kept the Turks uh, from being allowed to settle on Wallachian soil. So overall, he got a, he got a better deal than most. Uh, Mercia also formed an alliance a short time later with Sigismund of Luxembourg, the Holy Roman Emperor at that time, participated in crusades against the Turks to avoid total subjugation. And this is a weird thing that happened a lot in the history of Wallachia that I read about, uh, using the book, again, that Dracula, Prince of Many Faces, His Life and Times. Uh, these guys, especially in Wallachia, they'd make a deal with some Christian ally one year and then decide to launch like a mini crusade uh, against the Muslim invaders to the south. And then when that didn't work, uh, they'd make a deal the next year with like the Islamic sultan rather than just be totally wiped out and trying to like be like, oh, man, it wasn't. No, 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 no it wasn't our idea. No, 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 no. Uh-uh. It wasn't actually our troops. It was their troops. We were actually trying to stop them. So sorry for the confusion. We, we still want to be cool with you guys. And, and, I, and I guess even though like the, the sultan and other people like knew that they were being double crossed all the time, they just fucking tolerated it. Because they couldn't run their large geographical territories easily in the days before Wi-Fi, cell phones, interstates, you know, airplanes. It took a long fucking time uh, to move your giant army that you have to feed. You have to drag all these cannons. You know, and you got to move it from, from one group of assholes you've been slapping around, you know, down in Asia Minor or somewhere. And then you got some other group of assholes up in Greece giving you problems. You got to fucking, you got to move them all over there. You know, a lot of times it, it would just be easier to give the second group of assholes, you know, just demand some money from them. Uh, maybe some men for your army, you know, and it just kind of works out for both places. And then they don't have to all fucking die fight, fighting. You don't have to move your army. You know, and it's just more more beneficial to your overall plans long term for world domination than trying to kind of like take over everybody at the same time. So there's always these deals being made. Uh, Vlad's father, Vlad Dracul, uh, also ruled in... Uh, as I said, was the one-time prince of Wallachia. Um, he also uh, fought for both the Roman Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church in various battles against Turks. And this was something that happened. Uh, they would kind of align themselves which, uh, w- with whatever half of the church made the most sense at the time. Uh, the two halves of the church sometimes would actually come together in the occasional crusade against uh, the Muslims. And the blending of Roman and Eastern Christianity is how the name actually, uh, actually how the name Dracul became associated with the devil. Because the Holy Roman Emperor had founded an Order of Knights, you know, like I said, uh, the uh, the Order of a Round Table Pizza that exists to this day. No, the uh, the Order of the Dragon. And, and because the Holy Roman Emperor founded this group, it was a Catholic Order of Knights. And when Dracul returned to Wallachia, the locals saw the new dragon insignia on his shield and on the coins he minted. Because, you know, Catholics were, they didn't, they liked statues and fucking images and things. But the Eastern Orthodox did not. They kind of found that to be a form of idolatry. They didn't like it as much. And uh, and they started calling him Dracul, uh, which is Roman for dragon, you know, the order of the dragon, but Romanian for both dragon and the devil, primarily the devil. And so those not fond of him, you know, would just take the the devil connotation. Um, 
because again, it could mean devil in Romanian. So ironically, the name Dracula, or, uh, which is son of the devil, Dracul being devil, uh, Dracula being son of the devil, originated from his dad being an honored member of a small band of Christian warriors. So it's so funny to me how meanings can bend over time and, and bend because of silly coincidences. Uh, well, because of their noble heritage, the young Vlad Dracula and his brothers were given the best Valachian education one could get at that time. Uh, they were all taught how to count to seven uh, without getting help or using uh, their fingers even. So that's pretty cool. Uh, no, they were taught from the age of five how to ride an unsaddled horse at full gallop. Seriously, uh, to rule. And Valachia had to fight and to fight. He had to fight on a fucking horse. So they were also taught archery, swimming, fencing, court customs, history, manners. They were uh, also raised Catholic because of their father's deal with the Dragon Order. Uh, but also probably raised kind of that was probably like in secret because it wasn't cool in uh, Valachia to be Catholic at that time. So maybe publicly they also you know went to some Eastern Orthodox masses, you know try and play both sides again with the diplomacy. Uh, young Dracula also watched his father try and uh, earn and then keep his title of Prince of Valachia by constantly negotiating with other rulers. Saw his father switch allegiances uh, continually from the Holy Roman Empire to the uh, Emperor to the Islamic Sultan. Uh, had to do that um, in 1437 when Sigismund died. In 1442, his dad tried to uh, please local leaders intent on waging war against the Turks and also tried to appease the Turks uh, uh, enough from kind of dethroning him, and it wasn't easy. In 1442, uh, he double-crossed the Sultan Murad, the second ruler of the Ottoman uh, – Sultan Murad II, excuse me, ruler of the Ottoman Empire by allowing Turkish soldiers to be slaughtered by crusaders on Balakian soil because he had enormous pressure at home to help the crusades and because he was part of this Order of the Dragon and made this oath to fight, you know, <laughs> to fight uh, the Muslims. But again, he's also made a deal with the Muslims to, like, not fucking kill him and give him a tribute and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's a lot of shit always going on. And the sultan uh, punishes him by putting him in prison, put him in prison for uh, about a year, and by which and during that time he let his oldest son, Prince Mercia, kind of run the uh, empire in his place. And then he also took his two younger sons, Vlad Dracula and, and Radu, took them hostage. Uh, so that's, uh, yeah, again, like that's one of those things that the, the the Muslims would do, not an uncommon tactic of the Turks. They would take children of a subject, rule it on their behalf to ensure their loyalty. And for the next six years, Dracula and Radu were raised by Turkish royalty, living in the Sultan's court, away from their family, unable to even contact their family. Uh, they were raised by members of an entirely foreign culture and religion. They didn't speak the foreign tongue. Uh, Dracula did learn to speak fluent Arabic, uh, learned the ways of the Turks, knowledge that would serve him very well later when he would fight against him. And uh, overall, uh, it is believed that Dracula and Radu were treated well by the Turks. They were educated in the ways of Islamic royalty as if they had been royalty themselves. But they had to be fucking nervous, you know, all the time. Because if they tried to return home, or if their dad pissed off the sultan at any time... They could easily be killed. You never know. You could wake up any day, find out that your dad just double-crossed a sultan, and you're the fucking person that gets killed for it. And and they also, like, had to, like, you know, follow some very strict rules. They couldn't reach out to anybody from home. If they did, they were fucking toast. And they, and they learned about that uh, firsthand. They, they witnessed somebody else who did that and was punished severely. Uh, so the sons of a Serbian ruler who were also kind of held captive along with them. Uh, there was these two kids who chose to send a letter to their dad in 1441, and then the sultan found out, and he punished them. Holy fuck did he punish them. Uh, he burned their eyes out with red-hot irons. Of all the ways you could get your eyes uh, fucking taken out, I don't know. I, I, feel, like, I feel like red-hot irons has to be up at the top of the worst ways. And uh, yeah, permanently blinded, obviously, permanently disfigured these 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 kids. And, uh, and after that, uh, I'm, I'm guessing if they weren't before, uh, you know, Radu and Dracula were fucking following, following commands just to the, to the letter. 
I mean, can you imagine how well you would have paid attention in school if on the first day of school uh, your teacher would have burned the eyes out of a fellow student for passing a note? You're going to be fucking A student from that point going forward. Uh, in 1444, called to fulfill his oath to the Order of the Dragon, Vlad Dracul allows his eldest son, Prince Mercia, lead a small group of troops into battle against the Turks, supporting a larger contingent of other regional crusaders. You hear what I'm saying? He's, his fucking kids are held by the Sultan, and he's trying to sneak some troops to fulfill his oath to the Order of the Dragon, even though... By doing that, he could get his kids killed. Well, word gets back to the Sultan, uh, and they don't kill Vlad or Radu, but how betrayed young Dracula must have felt. Like his life just tossed aside by his dad, you know? Uh, Radu ended up becoming the the boy toy of the Sultan's son, uh, Mehmed, after that, just to to survive. They were not treated as well after that. So so now Dracula is at least hearing about, if not actually hearing, his, his younger brother getting raped. He's still in Turkish captivity. Uh, he's not being treated as well now because his dad kind of hung him out to dry. 1447, uh, meanwhile, while while Vlad or Dracula is still being in prison, things are not going well for him. Things are not going well for his dad or older brother back home either. Uh, political rival and staunch enemy of the Turks, John uh, Hanyadi. I always want to say Hyundai, like the car when I see his name. Uh, a man always uh, kind of leery of Vlad Dracul because of his dealings with the Ottomans, a guy who never made deals with the Turks, really. He launched a smear campaign against Vlad Dracul and Prince Mercia, his son, eager to dethrone the family. And he leads a revolt against them, and Vlad Dracul is killed by a mob uh, featuring some of the boyars, uh, the, the aristocrats of that area, in, in the marches near Bucharest. And then Prince Mercia is captured, tortured, and then buried alive in Turkovista. Well, when news of his father's death reaches Vlad Dracula, he is set free by the Turks now. Uh, but he, he remains with them, inis- at least initially, and is made an officer in the Turkish army. I mean, he'd been with them for all his adolescence. Uh, And it's also made clear to him uh, that it's in his benefit to kind of stay with them because he's in line for his dad's throne and he can get his dad's throne a little easier with Turkish military support. So the next year, 1448, young Dracula uses his Turkish connections uh, to take power back. He's going to take the power back. I don't know why that popped in my head. A little Chuck D, I think. Uh, Take power back in uh, Vlachia. Uh, his father and brother's killer, John Hanyadi, had recently lost a few battles in a separate power struggle with some Serbians, and Dracula was able to push the current prince, Vladislav II, another kind of co-conspirator uh, in Vlad Dracul and Prince Mercia's uh, murders, uh, off of the throne. But because the Turkish army he came with uh, into Wallachia did not pursue Vladislav's army towards Hungary and instead just kind of like, we're like, ah, we got him, and then just returned home to Turkey, and they didn't leave him enough soldiers to properly defend the throne, Vladislav retook it just two months later. So initially, he only led uh, Wallachia for two months, and then he had to flee northeast to Moldavia, uh, where the reigning prince uh, was his uncle. This is something else I notice happen all the time, uh, kind of like Game of Thrones. Uh, European royalty were constantly marrying other European royalty to spread their bloodlines into as many positions of power as possible and to strengthen allegiances with allies and also to keep potential enemies at bay. You know, it's kind of like a nice insurance policy against outright defeat. You know, your king gets taken over, but you're able personally to escape. You fucking sneak over some other kingdom where maybe your sister or half-brother, you know, is a queen or a prince. You build up a little support there, right? Yeah, you, you marry someone else in that court, and then you get them to come with you and take your kin- kingdom back with the new blood tie to the place you were just at, and then now they're tied to your new kingdom as well. It was kind of like a, like I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine, except it was more of a I'll knock your sister up if you fuck my aunt kind of deal. Uh, well, 1449, 1451, uh, Dracula lived in the Moldavian capital of, uh, Sushava for two years in his uncle's court, those two years. And then his uncle and ally is assassinated by his brother. That kind of shit happened all the time too. 
right? Because dudes back then, they had a lot of kids. They had a lot of mistresses, a lot of kids. And like I mentioned earlier, it didn't matter who your mom was. Any male heir, you know, uh, would have a legitimate claim to the throne if his, if his dad, um, you know, w- had royal blood, you know, was the king. And so these guys had like having all, you know, might have 10 fucking kids. They might have 10 boys. And all 10 of those boys have some kind of a claim for the throne. So brothers were constantly killing each other back then. You know, you'd have three brothers, seven half brothers, all wanted to have your spot. <laughs> and, they, and, and a lot of times they didn't really, it wasn't like they were raised together either. So they didn't have that emotional connection. You know, they were raised by their separate mom. So really it was, even though you're blood related, it was kind of some stranger who just wanted to fucking kill you. Uh, and again, super games of Thronesy. Well, Dracula escaped Moldavia only to make it to Transylvania, where his father and brother's killer, John Hunyadi, uh, the founder of Hyundai, uh, not the founder of Hyundai, uh, still had polit- political power. Uh, he hid in various Romanian villages for the better part of a year, hiding from John uh, Hunyadi, but then eventually forming a truce of some sort with him. And then uh, they must have worked things out. Again, the details of this are lost to history, but they worked things out enough where Dracula was enlisted by Hunyadi uh, in defending Transylvania from the Turkish advance because he was a very good military leader. On February 3rd, 1451, the Sultan Murad II died of a stroke, and his son, uh, Prince Mehmed, took the throne and then wanted to make a name for himself by kicking some Christian ass. And he stormed into Wallachia with tens of thousands of men and big castle wall knocking down cannons. Uh, this is uh, cool as shit, I think. Uh, this is in 1453. Mehmed had a cannon specifically built for him, nicknamed the Basilica, that was 27 feet long, uh, had a 48-inch bore, and was capable of firing 600-pound cannonballs, each propelled by 150 pounds of gunpowder. took 700 men, 30 oxen, to move this fucking thing. And it could only be fired seven times uh, a day, seven times every 24 hours to prevent overheating. And they took that motherfucker to Constantinople in 1453. The Sultan did. You know, it's currently, that city was currently under the control of the Byzantine Emperor Constantine, leader of the Eastern Orthodox Church, and the last Byzantine Emperor, by the way. His death would mark the end of the Roman Empire, which had continued in the East after it collapsed in the West for 977 years. Uh, The Byzantine Empire had controlled nearly all the land that bordered the Mediterranean at its height of its power in 555 AD. And now after Mehmed brought 200,000 soldiers, 200,000. And the biggest cannon the world had ever seen to siege it, it was in, it was going to be in Turkish hands. Can you imagine that? It kind of reminds me of uh, uh, the the fucking the three hundred movie, when when the uh, the the Islamic forces in that movie come against the Spartans, and there's just that fucking wall of dudes, just that gigantic army, and then they got some big like I mean they had supernatural stuff in that movie, but they got like big machines, you know. That cannon must have been like that. I mean, can you imagine you're defending this city, and then two hundred thousand. Soldiers are fucking headed towards you. And amongst other things, they have uh, this fucking monstrous cannon, unlike anything you have ever seen, that shoots 600-pound cannonballs. And you know that thing, like, you could that's a thing you could see fly through the air. Like, you would watch that fucker. It's not like a bullet that you can't see. You, <laughs> you would just watch this giant 600-pound ball headed towards, the, like, your, the wall of your city or headed towards you and just be like, oh, shit. Oh, man. And and that thing, yeah, was very good at just smashing the walls, and it smashed the walls of Constantinople. Um, yeah, and by the way, uh, with the walls and the, the siege technology, that's because uh, these people had fortifications everywhere back then. There was castles, walled cities, forces all over the fucking place. And the walls uh, would be up to like 14 feet thick, uh, and, and then these you know walls would have the occasional turret or tower with archers shooting through arrow slots. They'd have moats, drawbridges, you know, they have black magicians making chimeras. 
all that stuff, except for the magicians and the chimeras. Uh, and, the, and then there'd be like a little suburb of sorts around these castles, around these cities, these walled cities. And when the bad guys would come, everyone would just retreat behind the wall and just kind of hope for the best, you know? And then the siege army would come with their cannons and all their dudes, you know, and their ladders trying to fucking get in. And then defenders would be boiling, boiling oil from holes in the turrets to the advancing soldiers trying to scale the walls. Arrows, spears flying all over the fucking place. You got the cavalry, chainmail, swords, axes, mace, like all that shit. Like, can you imagine watching any one of those battles or participating in one, you know? Oh, my God. Any any one of the many, many, many medieval battles of Europe would make the best UFC fight in history look like some silly little kid playground shit. Like, you think Conor McGregor is tough? Is he as tough as one of the thousands of soldiers in these wars who marched to almost certain horrific death? Holy shit, life was brutal back then. Uh, well, uh, when news reached John Hunyadi and Dracula in Transylvania that Constantinople had fallen to the Turks they knew they were in trouble. They knew Mehmed, who had now declared himself Caesar in addition to Sultan, was not going to stop there. He was going to plow on through, uh, and he wanted to take, you know, ideally all of Europe. And they were going to be next. You know, this is, this is a dude who would go on to become known as Mehmed the Conqueror. He was uh, very ambitious. Well, 1456, Hanyadi, uh, who was one of the greatest military commanders of his lifetime, and Dracula, over a series of battles culminating in heroic defense of Belgrade, where the Sultan himself was wounded in battle, they sent the Turks back out of Transylvania. These guys were good at uh, being generals. And then in 1456, uh, Vlad stormed back into Wallachia and assumed the throne he'd held only once before for two months, again defeating Vladislav, this time killing him in hand-to-hand combat. Killed one of his dad and brother's uh, conspirators in, in their murders. Because there can be only one Highlander. Well, Dracula quickly made a deal with the Sultan. Remember, he knew this family well from his years of youthful captivity, and he agreed to pay him an annual tribute of 2,000 ducats uh, and allow them access through Wallachia to go, you know, fuck with other places, and then uh, he got to build a fortress. Uh, he almost immediately began repairing old castles and strongholds that had fallen into ruin, building new ones, preparing to defend his land from the Turks uh, he'd soon stop bowing down to. In 1457, Vlad solidified his control over Wallachia by building a powerful castle fortress in Turgovica and then by inviting all the boyars to his newly rebuilt Great Hall. And let's take a second to have a note on the boyars because uh, I was, when I, was reading, I hadn't heard that term before. So, like, who were the boyars? Well, the boyars of Wallachia uh, were the noble class of landowners. They were the local aristocracy. And, and, that, and the title boyar was a title uh, either inherited or granted uh, by the hospodar uh, or lord slash prince, often together with an administrative kind of, you know, uh, function, this title was given. And the boyars held much of the political power in the principalities before, during, and after Dracula's time. They actually did until the 19th century. Uh, the political system in this area would oscillate back and forth between an oligarchy and an uh, autocracy, uh, with the power concentrated in the hospodar's hands and then distributed out from there to the boyars. And the boyars, it was like a feudal system. It was an Eastern European feudal system. Essentially, they were given land by the hospodar for some kind of political or military reason, uh, and then that land was handed down from one generation to the next, and then the peasant class, the large peasant class, worked this land. They worked for the hospodars, they worked for the boyars, and uh, who could own not only um, farms, but like a, they could own entire villages. So it was, you know, that big system, uh, which has been around forever, of the haves and the have-nots. So essentially the boyars, they were like local warlords. And, and previously in Wallachia, before this uh, uh, system here with, uh, with Vlad taking power, they really kind of got to decide who was the prince. Like, like to be the prince, you, didn't, you, you had to kind of get the boyars to approve of you to have this leadership position. And because of his education, because his father, grandfather, great-grandfather had all dealt with the boyars, Dracula knew how important it would be uh, to his reign to change this power balance, to reduce their power. 
because they were, again, constantly ousting rulers when they thought they could, uh, you know, be replaced by someone else who might increase their wealth and status further. And, you know, it was the boyars who went along with John Hunyadi and Vladislav, you know, earlier to kill Vlad's father and brother, you know, plotted against him. And Vlad had watched his father try to appease them for years. You know, the constant diplomacy, kissing this guy's ass, kissing that guy's ass, making this treaty with this dude, making this treaty with that guy. And Vlad was fucking done. He, he was done kissing ass. Uh, he invited hundreds of these boyars to a big dinner in his newly constructed fortress, asked them how many lords they'd had over a 50-year period, and when they couldn't remember, because there had been so many, so many room from power by these dudes, he had them all impaled. All of them. Yep. Uh, he impaled roughly 500 of them. Well, how does impaling work? Well, listen to this little excerpt from a British documentary on Vlad called Lost Worlds, The Real Dracula. Now, the common way would be to put your enemy on the end, the sharpened end of this stake, pierce them through the navel or through the heart, and hoist them up and leave them to die, a relatively quick death. That was from the more fortunate, because if he really wanted to make an example of you, he'd take this rounded end and he'd grease it, and then he'd pull your legs apart and insert it into your rectum. So through your bottom and gradually the stake would work its way through your body. This might take a couple of days, okay? So you'd be literally dying for hours. I like that she says bottom. I like that she says through your bottom, like rectum and bottom instead of ass. That's very funny to me. When you're talking about something like so horrific, but then you kind of use a little kid term. You know, and then he would take this stake and he would stick it. He would rupture your body. He would stick it in your bottom and it would tear apart your organs. Initially going in your, in your poopy pants. It would go up through your poopy pants, through your bottom, and rip apart your vital organs. And you would bleed out. And you would say, Mommy, please, I don't like this. And please take it out of my bottom, please. <laughs> but anyway, it sounds, sounds horrible. What a, what a fucking message that sent. Holy shit. Listen up, everybody. Fuck what you heard before. There's a new sheriff in town. Things are going to be run a little different around here now. Well, after the massacre, he rounded up some more boyars from the area, shackled them all together, marched them uh, two days away, and forced them to build a new castle for him. Yep, he took more nobles and made them build Castle Dracula, also known as Panari Castle, uh, built near the uh, border of Wallachia in Transylvania, built upon the ruins of a previous fortress, and Castle Panari uh, is badass. Uh, it was perched high on a steep precipice of rock. Uh, access to the Citadel ruins today is made by climbing 1,480 concrete stairs. Uh, the castle took up the entire top of a large, steep hill. No easy way to get up to it. And the walls were built nine feet thick to help withstand Turkish cannon fire. I mean, the Basilica, that's going to fuck up anything. But, you know, he's probably not going to be able to drag that all the way over there. Uh, brick and stone held together with lime mortar, uh, which is interesting. I, I watched this one video about how the lime mortar um, kind of, it doesn't solidify the way other mortar does. And so it, it allows for a little wiggle room. So like the, this area was prone to earthquakes and the walls could kind of move with the earthquake and not just crumble down into the valley. Um, and uh, sieging this castle, it would have been a motherfucker because you'd have to drag the cannons up a very steep hill. Again, the Basilica is probably too big to even try and get anywhere near this castle. And uh, yeah, because they were just so heavy. It would have been literally almost impossible to get them up the steep slope. And can, and can you imagine being some peasant soldier, some, some fucking cannon fodder trying to attack this mountaintop castle? Do you, do you even entertain the possibility of living through a castle assault? I just, I wonder, you know, when they're getting the order. Just wait, wait a minute. Just, uh, just to be clear, uh, you want us to march up that steep hill. Uh, where they're shooting fire arrows currently upon us, uh, where they are dumping uh, burning oil, uh, where they can shoot at us with cannons from behind very, very thick stone walls, uh, where they're almost impossible to hit because of the little slots they're hiding behind. And you want us to just, you know, just kind of scamper about uh, the steep hill 
completely exposed out in the open. And then I guess just uh, just try to, what, kind of Spider-Man our way up up the walls, up the thick, steep, heavily guarded walls, and and just kind of push our way in. That's that's what you want. Okay. All right. Just I, I want to be clear. And if we say no, you, you'll kill us yourself. Okay. Well, hell. <laughs> well, you know what? If, if you didn't just offer to wash down a big old shit sandwich with a mouthful of sand. <laughs> well, ah, fuck it. You know, what's our average life expense anyway? Uh, 17, 17 years. Well, fair enough. Come on, boys. Yeah, I guess it's a good time as any to die a violent death today. Okay, so after his castle is done, you know, now many of the uh, former boyar class have been e- either impaled or worked to death. Uh, Vlad rebuilds the boyar class for members of the peasant class, a move which, uh, <laughs> you know, was, it was a new thing and made him very popular with the poor of Romania. You know, because, uh, and, and many actually poor Romanian peasants see Vlad Dracula as kind of a Robin Hood type figure to this day. But was he really doing this to help the poor? Doubtful. He was doing it to build a new noble class who would be extremely loyal to him, served his ends. Uh, Dracula also created some new social positions. Uh, one was called the Armas, uh, who were essentially his henchmen. The duty of the Armas was to administer the prince's new style of justice to impose decisions voted upon by the council to execute those guilty of crimes against the state. Uh, and they too were built out of the peasant class, many not even from Wallachia, but instead hire, uh, were hired foreign mercenaries. He also constructed a personal secret service of sorts, the Sluji and uh, various other military and paramilitary factions, all built out of the peasant class, all loyal to Vlad, all willing to impale a motherfucker at a moment's notice. Uh, And he also instituted a new form of diplomacy with foreigners. There's a story about some Italian diplomats, religious men, who sought an audience with Vlad and did not remove their hats in his presence as a sign of respect, which was custom. Uh, They asked them, uh, why not? Or, I'm sorry, Vlad asked them why not, and they told him that their skull caps always remained on, even if they, you know, were to meet with the Holy Roman Emperor or the Sultan himself. It just wasn't their custom to ever remove their skull caps. And then Dracula told them he would be happy to strengthen that custom because he had a very, very dark sense of humor. Uh, he sent a guard to go grab some big iron nails and then nailed their fucking skull caps to their actual skulls, nailed it to their heads. <laughs> Uh, there was another incident involving uh, two monks who came to visit his palace in uh, Turkovica, and Dra- Dracula casually showed him uh, this view of this courtyard where numerous people were currently being impaled. And Vlad asked him what they kind of thought of it all, and one of the monks told him that it was totally cool. <laughs> I, he didn't say that exactly. Yeah, it's fucking totally cool, bro. No, but he said, uh, you know, it's cool because he was appointed. Vlad was appointed by God to punish evildoers, and what he did must be just. And that monk got to walk away. Well, the other monk told him God was going to punish him. He was going to hell for his heinous crimes. And then that monk joined the impaled. Just put him out there on a stake. Uh, 1459, now he's feeling firmly in command of his kingdom. And uh, he's won more respect from the locals by refusing to pay the annual tribute to the Turks. He's not going to give them money anymore. And he's not going to allow the Turks to take any Wallachian youth anymore and force them into Turkish military service. You know, so the peasant class, they fucking love him for stuff like this. Uh, especially early in his reign when he's primarily just impaling the wealthy. But his sadistic thirst was not able to be quenched by just impaling the rich. No, sir. Not when 90% of the population belongs to the peasant class. That's so many more butts to put sticks in. That's so many more tukuses to throw some sticks in. So many more, you know, uh, poopy pants uh, to get to shish kebabbing. And, uh, and check out these ridiculous tales of the, the, the horrific stuff that Vlad did to the peasant and the boyar class with today's super scary stuff. <laughs> Apparently, to get a kind of better feel for his uh, his land, sometimes Dracula would disguise himself as like you know a peasant to, and just kind of wander the countryside, you know, just kind of see what people were up to. Well, one day he's doing this, 
and uh, and he meets this peasant, and he notices the peasant is wearing too short of a shirt. That's all. This, this shirt is a little high, like a like a crop top. It's supposed to be a full shirt. So he orders this dude brought to the court and wants to question him. And he finds out that the the man's wife has not been, you know, tailoring his clothes properly. Hasn't been repairing them in a, in a, in a timely fashion. Uh, so he has her brought to the court and for being lazy, uh, has her impaled in front of the husband. And But like as a, fa- as a favor to him, a favor that he didn't want. Because this guy pleaded with him not to do that. But then he gives this dude a new wife who's going to do a better job tailoring. And, and, and actually has her come in and see the old wife stuck on the stick and is like, eh, you don't want to fucking end up like that, do you? Well, do a little better job with these crop tops. And, uh, and he did more than just impale people for the littlest of social infractions. Uh, he would also burn them. He'd burn them alive. Uh, there's a story where he invited local poor, the lame, the ill, beggars, the blind, others he didn't feel contributed much to Valachian society. He invited them all to a big feast in this big hall. Uh, you know, gives them all kinds of food, lots of mead and wine, uh, you know. And then he has, while they're eating and getting drunk, he has the doors to the big hall locked from the outside. And he burns the entire fucking building down with all of them inside. Now, in the Romanian oral tradition, because, again, remember, they didn't uh, write all this stuff down. It would just be passed along orally from generation to generation. Uh, he supposedly said, regarding his reasoning for doing this particular atrocity, he said, these men live off the sweat of others, so they are useless to humanity. It is a form of thievery. In fact, the masked robber in the forest demands your purse, but if you are quicker with your hand and more vigorous than he, you can escape from him. However, these vagabonds take your belongings gradually by begging but they still take it. They are worse than the robbers. May these men be eradicated from my land. Can you imagine if Vlad was a politician today? Uh, what do we do about the homeless problem? Uh, I don't know. Just fucking let's burn them. Let's burn them alive. Simple. Just burn them alive. Uh, next, next question. Next problem. Uh, apparently Dracula was real hard on vagabonds. Not a big fan of petty thieves and freeloaders. There is an insane tale uh, about a gypsy leader. He had condemned to die for general kind of vagabondry. And then the man protested that being impaled or burned uh, were illegal. Those were illegal punishments with Valachian law. So Dracula, he's like, okay, that's fine. I don't, I don't have to impale you. I don't have to burn you. And instead, <laughs> this sounds so much worse to me, he boils him alive. And then as legend has it, forces members of this dude's tribe, this dude's gypsy, gypsy friends, to fucking eat him, to eat his flesh. Now, if that actually did happen, and again, we don't know for sure about all the details of the things, because some of the things, you know, were written by kind of like other, you know, historians from other lands who would document uh, what Vlad was up to, uh, maybe when visiting and things or what they heard. And then a lot of it was like oral traditions. But if that actually did happen, (laughs) uh, I mean, what a weird walk home for the members of that guy's tribe that would be. Like, what do you do in that situation? It has to be like so quiet. Or, you know, what do you talk about? I mean, do, do you talk about having just eaten your leader? I mean, did, did any of those guys at least think, even if it was just for like a flickering moment of just like, fuck, man. Wow. Vladislav was, uh, he was, he was fucking delicious. I gotta say he was fucking delicious. I mean, tender, surprisingly tender for an old fella. Juicy. I mean, a lot of flavor, a lot of flavor. Did not expect that. I, you know, I kind of wish I would have asked for seconds, but it, it, it just seemed weird at the time. Well, think of boiling someone alive and feeding them to their uh, relatives uh, or or friends is the most depraved act Vlad Dracula committed, and you'd be wrong. Uh, Apparently, he hated adultery a lot, Uh, hated it very much, hated it more than laziness. And any wife found guilty of committing adultery uh, had her sexual organs cut off, like literally would have like their tits cut off, (laughs) and then would be skinned alive and then left in a public square, skinless for all to see, the skin hanging from a separate pole next to the body. 
How is that for some sightseeing when you're out with the kids walking around town? Mommy, what is that? Oh, that's nothing, sweetie. That's just some skinless other mommy. That's all, sweetie. You don't want to stray. You don't want to stray. Uh-uh, not from daddy. Nope, no little girl. That's why I sing you that lullaby at night. You don't want to give your vagina away because you might end up without skin someday. You don't want to give your vagina away because it might get the skin of your tits cut off and flayed. Uh, something like that. I don't, I don't feel like I didn't have the melody quite right, but it's something in that ballpark. Uh, he, he also uh, once had a red-hot iron stake shoved into an adulteress's uh, vagina, pushing the stake up through her organs and eventually out of her fucking mouth. Like, just made her like a shish kebab, which I guess all the impaling did. Uh, he then had the woman tied to a pole naked and then just left her in the courtyard until she just rotted to becoming a skeleton. What the fuck? That is like a scene straight out of hell. Uh, guessing cheating was extremely rare in towns with rotting adulterers staked in the courtyard. Uh, Dracula also had people decapitated, had their noses, ears, genitalia, limbs cut off. He blinded, strangled, uh, hanged, burned, boiled, roasted, hacked, fed people to wild animals, made use of the wheel, hot coals, other forms of medieval torture. But his favorite method always was impalement. Uh, he had stakes permanently prepared in the courtyard of the Palace of Turkovica. Uh, that place where he watched the, we talked about the monks watching him uh, impale people earlier. Uh, Dracula was often present at the time of punishment. He liked to, liked to watch them slowly die. Uh, to, you know, like to, to stretch out how long it took to kill him, Dracula would have the stakes carefully rounded at the end, bathed in oil so that the entrails of the victims should not be pierced by a wound too quickly fatal. Uh, sometimes to lower them onto the stake, <laughs> this was a weird thing I came across, a victim's legs would be spread apart, uh, like they'd be like, tied to horses. So you'd have one leg tied to one horse, one leg tied to another horse. Then you'd walk the horses apart and kind of like like a turkey wishbone, I guess, kind of pop the person's pelvis so their legs are going in that, uh, what that, that splits position. Not like the front splits, but the side splits. And then then you just have like the rectum, which is fully exposed now, carefully just sat down upon a stake. And it wasn't just men being impaled. Women, children, even fucking babies. Even fucking babies were impaled. Sometimes the stakes were placed uh, through uh, other parts of the body, like the victim's chest, necks, heads. Uh, the, the craziest stake thing, uh, oh my God, he, he was accused of putting stakes through uh, both of a mother's breasts and then she had two babies and he fucking staked the babies on the breasts, like one baby each breast stake. What the fuck? <laughs> Jesus. Uh, Dracula had entire villages of those he considered unworthy, burned and hacked to pieces. There was some description uh, somebody wrote of like hacking them like they, was, like, like they were cabbage. Fucking, oh, he allegedly once murdered a group of 600 Saxon merchants, impaling many, putting others into a giant cauldron, adapted so their heads could peek out, and then had the boiling water poured upon them, like so it slowly kind of raise up. So you could just, you know, you could hear their screams and see their faces as they're getting boiled alive. Uh, he was alleged to sit at a table sometimes and just dine amongst the bodies of the impaled. You know, just have a nice meal. Uh, you know, while some peasants bled out, writhed around him in their dying agony. How much would that fucking, how weird would that be to be like the waiter? <laughs> to be the assistant. Um, would you like another uh, biscuit? Uh, meanwhile, there's just uh, some dude behind you. Please, please, I, I heard so much. I, I'm sorry, what, what did you say? Uh, do you say strawberry jam or, or strawberry rhubarb? If, if, the, if oh God, if that, that, sorry, that guy just, the impaled guy behind me, one of the many guys dying right behind me is just being so loud right now. Uh, in times of battle, Dracula was alleged to uh, check the wounds of his own men when the day's fighting was done. And if someone was wounded from behind, he would impale them, his own dudes, for being cowards. Uh, but the craziest thing he did, the thing that seems to stand up the most to me, is an image of just unimaginable horror because of the sheer number of victims in this one event is a massacre that has been since referred to as the Forest of the Impaled. Uh, 
Now, this is in the summer of 1462. Vlad Dracula is battling the Turks in Wallachia. Uh, it recently requested aid from the Kingdom of Hungary, sent messages to Rome to gather support there for a great Christian crusade against Sultan Mehmed and the Turks. Uh, he knew he didn't have the men to fight off the Ottomans alone. And uh, he did seem to really believe, this is a weird thing too, in the ideals of the crusade. As barbaric and sadistic as he was, and obviously he was with, with what I just told you, he was also very concerned about his soul and his salvation. And he was constantly building monasteries and churches in Wallachia and Transylvania to kind of like make up for what the other things he did. <laughs> like, and he was going back and forth between Eastern Orthodoxy, Roman Catholicism for his, his entire adult life for political and diplomatic reasons, but he was always Christian. He was always committed to the crusade, more committed actually than anybody else in that area. And, and he just seemed to believe that if he did enough good for Christianity, he would still go to heaven despite these atrocities. Well, uh, in this case, uh, genuine military support never did come from Hungary, Rome, or anyone else, and that was common during Vlad's life. He usually was fighting alone, uh, fighting the Turks alone, and he was greatly outnumbered, but he was a very cunning military strategist, and he devised various creative ways to compensate for his numerical disadvantage. Like he'd attack the Turks at night when they were the, the least prepared for battle, uh, and, you know, and also knowing that he knew the lay of his homeland far better than they did. He'd lure them into assaults against his very heavily fortified mountain castles. Uh, he'd pay people, this is crazy, afflicted with like the plague or leprosy or some other horrible fatal disease to pretend to be Turkish, dress them up in Turkish kind of garb, and pay them to infiltrate uh, the Turkish camps <laughs> and just basically spread their disease uh, amongst the Ottomans. Well-versed in Arabic and their customs, he himself would also sometimes sneak into the camps with a number of other soldiers, also in disguise, and surprise attack them from within their own encampments. Uh, but he was, despite all this, he was still losing, still retreating through Wallachia up into Transylvania. And once he had retreated to this uh, headquarters he had in Turkovista, his palace uh, where he had all the people impaled all the time, he engaged in an act of psychological warfare, uh, again, of, like just like unimaginable horror to try and scare the Turks out of his homeland, uh, and it worked. An advanced guard reached a forest, advanced guard of Turks, about 60 miles from the walls of Turkovica, where Vlad and his army had prepared to defend the town against the siege. They got their cannons ready, they're all there inside their fort, but then, again, like like 60 miles away, uh, along the route of where the, the Turks were coming to fight them, he, this, the, he had these soldiers wander into this, again, what became known as the Forest of the Impaled, strung along roughly a mile in a wide semicircle blocking the Turks' path, arranged in a picket fence fashion, were the impaled bodies of 20,000 previously captured Turkish soldiers, 20,000 corpses in various states of decay, in various uh, methods of impalement, impaled on pikes, Basically, in this dense forest, as far as the eye could see, you're just seeing literally thousands and thousands of dead bodies up on fucking sticks in the air. The area just reeked with the stench of human death. Birds of prey and other carrion animals are picking at the remains. I mean, what a what a sight like out of fucking hell itself that would be to see. That's how you become the legend of Dracula. Just that just fucking preposterous level of darkness. Well, the Sultan was so disgusted by this sight that he actually went home. He ordered his army to return home. He just felt that the country was no longer worth the price of victory at that moment. And then to add insult to injury, the plague had really taken hold in his ranks at this time. So the, you know, his, his military strategy from earlier was working. And then he began to also kind of feel that there was some sort of curse that Dracula had laid upon him. Man, 20,000 impaled men. Man, life was good for the stake makers in Vlad's regime, huh? They had some serious job security. 
Stake makers had more job security working for Vlad Dracula than they had ever had at any other point in human history before or since. To say, hey, Dad, uh, you're not going to believe this, but we, oh, man, we just got another order in for steaks. We got an order in for 20,000 more steaks. 20,000 more steaks? Well, I hope no one needs them soon. We just finished last week's order of 5,000 steaks. Okay, well, Vlad needs them by, uh, he needs them by today. He, he needs them by now. By today? By now? That's impossible. He needs them by now or we get impaled. Oh, well, uh, you know what? We can make this work. We can make this, well, just stop standing there and get to fucking whittling. Uh, all in all, Dracula was alleged to have killed anywhere from 40,000 to 100,000 people viciously during his reign. Uh, again, many by the, by, bar, by the barbaric methods I've just talked to you about. And that, my God, uh, is some super scary stuff. Well, despite beating the larger army of the Turks in battle, Vlad Dracula would still fall from power in late 1462. Sultan Mehmed had grown up with Vlad when Vlad was held hostage by Mehmed's father, you know, uh, when they were kids. But he'd also grown up with Vlad's younger brother, Radu, and the dude he reportedly raped and made his boy toy, we talked about before. And Radu, once he became an adult, unlike Vlad, he never left the Turks. And so now the Sultan supported Radu's claim to the Vlachian throne. Because again, he's a male heir, so he has as much claim to the throne as, uh, as fucking Dracula does. And Radu is far more diplomatic than Vlad. And what he does, is a, instead of his, like his brother just trying to rule through terror and just fucking kill his way to the throne, he appeal, appeals uh, diplomatically to the remaining boyars who Vlad hadn't impaled and to the Romanian people and was just basically like, look, you know eventually the Turks are just going to take this land. They have vast more numbers. So, you know, you can just keep fighting them and see how that works out and eventually probably all die. Or why don't we just work with them like we used to, like my dad used to? You know, Vlad Dracul, pay a small tribute, let him have access to our land, maybe take a couple of boys here and there, but then we could be done with the fighting, and most of all, we could be done with all this fucking crazy impaling weird torture shit that's been going on. And Radu's plea worked. Men began to defect in mass from Vlad's army and started to join Radu's new army. They saw the writing on the wall. The boyards, even some that Vlad had placed in power, also defected to Radu. Remember, he'd stopped impaling just the old guard of wealthy boyars and basically started impaling fucking everybody. He pushed the philosophy uh, of it's better to be feared than respected way too far, and in the end, it bit him in the ass. He was just too fucking brutal. He was too sadistic to retain the loyalty of his people. So at the end of 1462, despite having defeated the Turks in in battle numerous times, uh, he was retreating once again. And this time, he made his way back to the castle, Dracula's castle, that Panari castle built on the mountaintop, built up over, uh, over the Arches River, and Prince Radu sent a contingent of Turks uh, to capture him there, and they trapped him and the few remaining men he had and family members with him inside the castle. And it didn't look good. It looked so bad that one of its mistresses, fearing what the Turks would do to her when she was captured, chose to throw herself from the castle to her death in the river below. To this day, that stretch of river is known as the Princess's River. Well, Dracula himself, legend has it, snuck out into the surrounding forest at night, escaped through a tunnel from the castle that went out into the forest that he'd built years ago for this very exact purpose, and then he eventually found refuge in the court uh, of that uh, an old Christian ally of his, uh, King Matthias of Hungary. He appealed to Matthias to help him oust his brother Radu and the Turks off of Wallachian soil and return the land to Christian rule, you know, tried to appeal to his Christian sense of uh, crusader duty, but Matthias, like Radu, uh, was more interested in working with the Turks than he was in fighting them. And he arrested Vlad, and I gotta say, 
pretty uh, tricky, tricky way. Pretty tricky way. On December 5th, 1462, Dracula led to believe he and his small band of remaining soldiers and mercenaries would be supported by a large contingent of Matthias' men to fight Radu and the Turks. Uh, he's led to believe this, and his men are being lowered from the um, Koenigshine, uh, or it's a Koenigshine, Koenigshine Castle, another majestic mountaintop castle, where they use pulleys to raise and lower horses, cannons, etc., to and from the castle to the valley below. How fucking cool is that? Like, and they lowered all of Vlad's men's first. And then when it was his turn to go up, uh, to go down, uh, and all his men were already down in the valley below, they just grabbed him and just shackled him. And his men could do nothing because they were down in the valley and they couldn't just like climb their way up. So they just had to listen to him scream and watch and watch him be taken. Uh, but rather than take him and hand him over to Radu and the Turks, Matthias kept Vlad alive. It would have been politically unwise uh, for his relationships with the, with the West, with the Roman Catholic Church and various other Christian nations to kill Dracula or hand him over to be killed because despite his sadistic nature, he was still seen as a dude who successfully battled the Turks on behalf of Christianity and thus a, a great protector of the Christian faith. So he remained jailed. Uh, he remained jailed for roughly 12 years. But he wasn't like jailed, jailed. Uh, he just wasn't allowed to leave the king's court. Basically, it was like uh, when he was held captive as a child by the Turks. The Hungarian just kept him as a royal pet of sorts. And then in 1475, Vlad's brother Radu died of syphilis and the Wallachian throne was available again. And now, for various military reasons, Matthias was open to attacking the Turks and pushing them out of Wallachia in a crusade on behalf of the Roman Catholic Church. So he made Dracula a deal. Convert openly to Catholicism, marry into my family, and I'll fight to restore you once again as a prince of Wallachia. Dracula accepts. Of course he does. His alternative is to remain, you know, uh, a prisoner. And they march back down to Wallachia, and Vlad, in classic Vlad fashion, gets right back to Impalin. Oh, yeah. He marched through various Romanian and Serbian villages, torturing and impaling the shit out of the Turks he found there. Uh, in one village, he impaled a bunch of Turkish prisoners in, in a particularly disgusting fashion. He had their limbs and also their dick and balls cut off, hacked off, and then had their various parts put up on various stakes, like each part impaled separately. God, the dude loved psychological warfare and clearly loved staking the shit out of people. I wonder if any of his minions who had to, like, do this took pride in their stake arrangements. You know, just, hey, hey, Sal, hey, Sal, Sal, can you move that leg over to the left a bit? Just, just put it, no, no, just back by the, by the dick. Uh, no, 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 by the, by the other dick. Yeah, 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 no, that's the one, that's the one. Oh, no, no, okay, a little higher, a little higher. Okay, okay, stop. Now, now move the foot a little bit to the left, a little more. Little, okay, stop. Now, now push that first dick a little bit higher on that stake. No, 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 not too much. Just, just a smidge. Oh God. Oh, oh, okay, that's perfect. That's oh, that's good. God, that is real good, Sal. Come over here. Come over here and look at this. Wow, we have outdone ourselves. I mean, that's a fucking masterpiece. That is majestic. If only someone had already invented, you know, cameras and selfie sticks, we'd, we'd fucking, we'd throw that on Instagram, whatever that is. Uh, well, uh, March 1476, Dracula has now fought his way deep into Transylvania. And interesting note, uh, he fights alongside a close relative of a future time suck topic. He fights uh, along with uh, Stephen Bathory, the Hungarian military commander and great uncle of upcoming suck, Elizabeth Bathory, the blood countess and possibly the most prolific female serial killer of all time. All right, well, in November, by November 1476, Dracula, he's kicking and impaling Turkish ash, Turkish ass, uh, once again, one of his favorite things to do. And by November of 1476, he'd made his way into Wallachia, where he had a sudden change of heart, uh, relinquished his claim to the throne, settled down with a young Romanian peasant girl, opened up a flower shop. Uh, they'd live happily married for more than 30 years, have six kids together. Uh, Vlad would grow up to be a doting grandfather, especially fond of uh, whittling small steaks for the kids to make s'mores with. 
Of course that never happened. No, uh, Stephen and Vlad kick a lot of ass, and by November 26, 1476, Vlad is Prince of Wallachia for the third time in his life. And he proceeds to impale literally fucking everyone. And he goes around licking their corpses, slowly morphing into the world's first vampire. No. Actually, he rules only for about two months again. Uh, rules for about two months, and then he's killed by a Turkish assassin pretending to be a servant. His head is cut from his body, taken to the sultan, taken to Mehmed so he can look into Vlad's dead eyes and know for certain this Turkish nightmare was gone for good. His headless corpse is rumored to be entombed underneath a monastery in Snagov, about 40 kilometers north of Bucharest. Although historians still debate uh, all of this, his tomb was never uh, definitively found. And some don't think his head was ever truly delivered to the sultan. They just uh, didn't keep good, good records in Romania back in this time again. Uh, again, with no written language. Well, uh, many Romanian uh, locals do believe that Dracula was buried at Stragov, this monastery there, and the, and the land there is now cursed. Gypsies love curses. They love a good curse story. Uh, strange things have happened there over the years, most notably an event that occurred during the 19th century when the abbey at Stagav uh, was converted into a prison and a bridge was built to the monastery. This would suck so much. Located because it was located on an island on Snugov or Snugov, however the fuck it is, lake. I couldn't find a video for this one. Uh, and while chained prisoners are mar- being marched over the bridge, over the lake to the prison, the bridge collapses and they're all like linked together. And so the whole line, like all of the prisoners, drown together in the water below. How terrible would that be? Man, how long are you in for? Uh, two weeks and then it's just fucking the bridge collapses or a death sentence. So did Dracula's curse claim the lives of those men? Uh, maybe, or maybe they should have just hired a much better bridge builder. Good job, soldier. You've made it back. Barely. So Dracula's real life ends in 1476, but his legend just beginning. Uh, the first written accounts of Dracula's evil deeds being passed around uh, were written and copied by German monks in 1462, 14 years before his death, uh, when Vlad was on a temporary mission to impale some Catholics and send the Saxons uh, fleeing from Wallachia in Transylvania. And the monks wrote up terrible accounts of a sadistic impaler. In the monks' writings, some reasoning for Vlad's uh, barbarism is revealed while answering questions from a monk about why he kills not only men, but women and children. Uh, In this story, Dracula says, when a farmer clears the land, he must not only clear the weeds that have grown, but also the roots that lie deep beneath the soil. For should he omit cutting the roots, after one year he has to start anew, in order that the nox- in order that the obnoxious plant not grow again. In the same manner, the babes in arm who are here will someday grow into manhood. I wish to destroy and uproot them. Should I do otherwise, the young heirs will otherwise easily avenge their fathers on this earth. Man, so fucked up, but so logical. Want to ensure your place of power? Don't just kill your enemies, kill their entire fucking families. So there's no one left to avenge their death. Uh, well, Michael Beam, uh, a wandering bard popular with German royalty in the court of the Holy Roman Emperor, also wrote and performed tales of Vlad, making him a famous villain while he was still alive, uh, a living legend of sorts. He wrote a poem called The Story of a Bloodthirsty Madman called Dracula of Wallachia, and he performed it all around Europe uh, and even for Frederick III, the Holy Roman Emperor, in 1463. And then in the late 15th century, with the new invention of the printing press in Germany, Dracula tales become the first non-religious bestsellers of their day. I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, in the late 15th and early 16th century, books uh, were printed with titles like The Frightening and Truly Extraordinary Story of a Wicked Blood-Drinking Tyrant Called Prince Dracula. Uh, loved a long title back then. 
Uh, so far, historians have discovered no less than 13 15th and 16th century Vlad Dracula tales, all written in German. And then beginning in the late 16th century, tales of the real Dracula fade and don't become popular again until years after Bram Stoker's Dracula is published, when scholars and historians rediscover Dracula tales when researching the monster's origins. Um, what's interesting is how differently the legend of the real Dracula had been portrayed in various cultures. Like in some cultures, like Germany and the Middle East, he was nothing more than a sadistic monster. But in the Russian narratives, he was seen as cruel but just. Uh, brutal times kind of requiring a, a brutal leader type of thing. His deeds were taught to and studied by numerous czars as an example of how to control an army and how to control a population through fear and intimidation. Ivan the Terrible would actually study the dealings of Vlad Dracula in the 16th century when he was a kid and then later end up doing a fair amount of impaling himself. Uh, in Roman folklore, Dracula came to be seen as a hero, a defender of the poor against the tyranny of the rich, a punisher of the wicked and protector of the just. He only impaled those who deserved it. When Romania fought for independence in the late 19th century, tales of Dracula the Liberator and defender of Romania would be told for inspiration. To date, Vlad is seen as uh, such a hero, such a hero in some parts of Romania that Bram Stoker's Dracula has yet to be translated into Romanian, and Bela Lugosi-style uh, vampire films are not shown in Bucharest. So what do we really think about Vlad after all this? Well, before I share what I think, let's check in with the virtual think tank uh, known as the Idiots of the Internet. Right away when you start reading comments under documentary videos on YouTube, you can see how different uh, the cultural narratives or the different cultural narratives have helped form opinions of Vlad. Like under the video, I played a clip from earlier, Lost Worlds, The Real Dracula, an obvious Romanian going by the username Cornelio Zilio uh, Codrenu, I don't know how to fucking say this nonsense, uh, was obviously not happy with the documentary's portrayal of Vlad as a sadist. He commented two months ago, he said, These filthy kikes have ruined our history. Vlad was a hero that became a legend, not because of the impalement, but due to his bravery and skill. He was an honest man. Wow, not a big fan of the Germans, this guy. Throwing out some racial hate right out of the gate. And I love how he speaks as if he knew Vlad personally. Like, look, assholes, he was a good dude, okay? Misunderstood, sure, but an honest man nonetheless. Sure, he impaled tens of thousands of people, but hey, you know what? He had his reasons. Um, another Romanian user, Andrei Manu, again, there's no pronunciation videos for this fucking nonsense, echoed Cornelio's uh, sentiment also two months ago saying, Vlad Tepes, uh, and Tepes is Romanian for impaler, was a hero and a leader. He did what he had to do to save Romania from the invasion of the Turks and other invaders. Uh, okay, really? Did what he had to do? Uh, did he do what he did or did he, did he go a little overboard? And, and that's one line of thought. Uh, here's an entirely different one. This is when things get really fun. Uh, farther down on the thread uh, or in the comment section on the same video I find three months ago, user Brown Witch said or, you know, wrote, Vlad the Impaler is my savior. Vlad can impale me with his dick. Huh. What, a, what an entirely different take on things that is. I clicked on Brown Witch's user profile, and there's a one-sentence description of who she feels she is. She writes, I'm not a bitch. I'm honest. Are you, though, Brown Witch? Do you really want to be impaled by a sadist dick? Are you, are you really a witch? Are you honest about that? Are you even brown? Or are you just fucking super cray-cray? Well, user Andrew Goring doesn't agree with Brown Witch's sentiment and replies with, Sorry, that worthless piece of filth is just as dead as all the people he so cruelly tortured and killed. Brown Witch responds immediately. She says, he did what he did because the motherfuckers tried to take his country. I would have done the same thing. 
Really, brown witch? Would you? Would you have done the fucking same thing? You would have impaled, boiled, burned, decapitated, and butchered entire families because that's the only way to defend your country? Interesting. I'm worried about you, brown witch. Well, user Shelda Faust is not worried about brown witch. Nuh-uh, not at all. She agrees wholeheartedly with brown witch, commenting, Me too, sweetie. Me too. And blessed be, sister brown witch. Does anyone else find it fucking disturbing that she's backing up a woman who has just claimed she would like to be impaled by Vlad's dick and who has also claimed that she would impale families and torture thousands to death, but then also uses words like sweetie and blessed be? It's kind of like the bottom thing we were talking about earlier. Shelda Faust may be even crazier than Brown Witch. Well, neither neither one of them are done. Uh, And then user Mary Hinge joins in after over two months of radio silence on this thread, and she throws in some extremely dark uh, reasoning into the conversation, commenting... Vlad's dick decomposed long ago. If you can find his grave, you could try shoving his femur between <laughs> between your piss flaps. Shoving his femur between your piss flaps. Well, aren't you quite the grotesque wordsmith there, Mary? I gotta say, a little bit disturbed, a little bit of admiration coming your way. That was quite the sentence. Uh, well, Shelda Faust responds immediately, now going all caps, because she's fired up. And she says, or I could cast a very strong spell and bring him back to life, and then I could just have him. <laughs> yeah, Mary, what do you think of that? No need to bother with a nasty old femur dildo. Uh-uh. She'll just bring him back to life, you silly old goose. Just cast a spell, you goofball. You know, just a la peanut butter sandwiches. One count brought back to life with one penis and two balls. <laughs> I do realize... I just combined two Sesame Street characters there. Uh, I mixed old Mumford the Magician with the Count. Well, Mary doesn't think anything of that. She dropped her piss flaps bomb into this thread, and then she left to spread her clever merriment somewhere else. Uh, Brown Witch does hear Shelda's claim, though, and initially is not pleased, commenting right away with, No, he's mine. To which Shelda continues her manic all-caps diatribe with, We can share him. You and I can both have him three nights each, and on the seventh day he can rest his strength for handling both of us. And she ends with a smiley face. And all is right between Brown Witch and Shelda. They don't even bother replying to the last comments on the thread made by user Carrie Hunt, who points out that Vlad's dick is spiked and barbed. And then he comments again, because he didn't get all of his points out across in that first post. He needed to add, and he has barbed wire for pubic hair. Well, Shelda and Brown Witch don't give a fuck about his pubic hair. They just want some of that impaler dick. What is going on in your life and in your mind when you sexually fantasize about being fucked by a sadistic, murderous psychopath? I think these women were just kidding, just trolling. But then I'm reminded of the women who marry convicted murderers while the murderers are on death row and apply for conjugal visits so they can try and impregnate themselves with some monster seed. Well, as a father, I wonder what the hell do you have to do to your daughter to create that kind of moron? I get the bad boy appeal on some level and attraction to a rule breaker, but Vlad the Impaler, what in the actual fuck? I think I'm going to take a quick break, and I'm going to go hug my daughter and tell her how cool she is to reduce the odds that someday she becomes one of these idiots of the internet. Idiots of the internet. Internet. So there we have it, Vlad the Impaler. That was an exciting ride, was it not? The guy was clearly a military genius in his way. He continually bested the Turks with much smaller fighting forces. Uh, he fought in numerous battles, and Vlachian leaders were expected to fight alongside their armies and was never killed in battle. Uh, he was killed by a sneaky assassin. He was a shrewd diplomat, able to stay alive during numerous imprisonments, make numerous alliances. 
But I don't think he was some Robin Hood, like some Romanians claim. I, I, I think he was a ruthless tyrant. I think he was a true sociopath who had zero regard for human life, and that helped him be a great military leader, right? Because he could just do what suited him logically. Didn't have to worry about any fucking morality. You know, he was very quick to kill. And clearly, from many accounts, he liked to toy with his victims, making him a true sadist. You know, a lot of accounts on how he liked to watch people be impaled and impaled uh, in, man- in all manner of ways. You know, through the ass, through the mouth, through the gut, heart, neck, etc. Hacked into pieces. Had their pieces impaled. So much impaling. Was that just to protect an, uh, an image or just to project, excuse me, an image to be feared for some psychological advantage against enemies? I don't think so. I think he seemed to truly enjoy it. Seemed to relish it. I think he was a fucking monster. And some have speculated uh, he may have been impotent uh, for a long period of his early adulthood, which could have led to some kind of fetishism with impaling. Like basically like the steak is a horror substitute for his limp dick. That the power of killing is a substitute for his lack of power in the bedroom. Maybe, maybe not. I don't think so. I think that's wild speculation. I think he just liked to watch people die. And I think impaling was his favorite way to watch people die. It's kind of like, uh, like some people like pizza, right? All kinds of pizza. You know, I'm one of these people. I like, I like all kinds of pizza. But you always have a, a go-to. You have a favorite. For me, it's meat lovers. I love a meat lovers, meat lovers pizza the best, but I'm still going to eat a chicken and pesto. I'll still enjoy that. I'll still have a, a Hawaiian, a little Canadian bacon, a little pineapple on that bad boy. I think Vlad was like that, you know, with torture and murder. He liked all kinds. He liked all kinds of torture and murder. But his fave, his comfort food, that was impalement. And now let's go recap this Vlachian son of a bitch uh, with some top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one, Vlad once had 20,000 Turks impaled in one place. The infamous scene of the forest of the impaled. And then just a few months later, still dethroned by his kid brother Radu, who didn't impale anybody. I guess sometimes diplomacy does work a little better than just uh, outright brutality. Number two, in 1453, the Sultan Mehmed had a cannon specifically built for the sacking of Constantinople, nicknamed the Basilica, that was 27 feet long, had a 48-inch bore, that's four feet was capable of firing 600-pound cannonballs, each propelled by 150 pounds of gunpowder, took 700 men and 30 oxen to move the fucking thing anywhere. And it could only be fired seven times every 24 hours to prevent overheating. Its initial test shot left a crater six feet deep in the earth. Imagine seeing that thing fire at you in the days when most people fought with swords and axes. Holy shit. Number three, the word Dracula, name of arguably the most well-known monster of our time, means in Romanian, son of the devil. But the name came from the Latin word for dragon and was given to Dracula's father for serving in an important Christian order of crusaders, the Order of the Dragon. How weird that the name ended up becoming the exact opposite of what it initially represented. Number four, ironically, no one fought harder for the cause of Christianity in the mid-15th century than Vlad Dracula. When he wasn't sticking stakes through humans... He was fighting Muslims on behalf of Jesus. What a weird fucking world we live in. Number five, new information. One last Dracula atrocity. It was rumored that Vlad had a mistress that lived in the back streets of the city of Turgovista. Dracula was often moody and depressed, and the woman would make every effort to bring him out of his gloominess. And then once, when Dracula was in a particularly sorrowful state, uh, she attempted to cheer him up by telling a lie and uh, proclaiming that she was pregnant with his child. Thought that would make him happy. Uh, He wasn't happy. Dracula warned her not to lie about such a thing, but she persisted to insist that she was with child. Well, then Dracula had the woman examined uh, by a bath matron, I guess someone who could determine pregnancy at that time, And, uh, and, and when she wasn't pregnant, he was furious that she had lied to him, and he proceeded to draw out his knife and then cut her open from groin to chest, from vagina to breast, while proclaiming his desire for all the world to see where he had been, and then he left her to die in agony. 
Still want to date this dude, Shelter Faust and Brown Witch, you fucking lunatics? Time suck. Top five takeaways. Well, thank you, Time Suckers, for getting uh, getting today's uh, bonus suck stuck in your mind hole. Please keep telling others about the show. Uh, please keep spreading the suck, and I'll keep doing the best job I can to improve it. Uh, also, to those of you who have written about web development and app design, I want to get a time suck app in the future. I have started working with a few time suckers. And if I haven't gotten back to you, I do apologize, and I'm extremely grateful for you taking the time to write in the first place and offer that. You suck. Uh, and also, uh, be sure to hit the first ever Time Suck Trivia Night at Max Line Brewing in Fort Collins, Colorado, if you live in the area, this Tuesday, just a couple days, July 18th at 7 p.m. Uh, they're giving away tons of cool t- uh, Time Suck prizes. It's a great way to meet other Time Suckers. The brewery is located at uh, 2724 McClellan Drive, Fort Collins, Colorado, maxlinebrewing.com for more details. Uh, some of the topics that are going to be covered, uh, Bonnie and Clyde, Jeffrey Dahmer, Pablo Escobar, JFK, Al Capone, and more, all trivia from episodes of The Suck. Love that so much. And if you want to run a Time Suck trivia night of your own in your town, hit me up. Uh, you can hit me up at dan at timesuckpodcast.com uh, for some discounted Time Suck merch to give away. Also, uh, if you haven't already, you can watch my last uh, special, Don't Wake the Bear. It's now on Amazon Prime, where it streams for free for Prime members. So check it out. Rate it if you'd be so kind. Uh, I just heard from the uh, distributor that apparently it's been getting some good plays, so that makes me feel good. Uh, people seem to enjoy it. And uh, and also, you can follow The Suck on social media. Uh, it's at Time Suck Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, slash Time Suck Podcast on Facebook. Going to be doing some cool stuff on social media this summer. And, uh, and listen this Monday, listen this Monday to a very important episode of Time Suck about the national transgender debate. I've been talking to a very cool Time Sucker who happens to be transgender and educating myself on this very relevant issue so I can educate and entertain you. Uh, hear firsthand from Erica about life in the U.S. as someone who identifies as being transgender. Hear how fucking normal she is. Hear how she likes playing video games, reading a good book, hates traffic, works with fucking idiots, you know, at her job, just like you, so many ways. Uh, very important addition of Time Suck to listen to, and uh, and one on something I knew very, very little about before first chatting with Erica. So that's Monday. Uh, please listen to that episode. I'm still figuring out what the next bonus episode is going to be. We're already like, oh, I think like 30 uh, reviews towards the 800 episode. I, I'm, I've narrowed it down to a couple topics. Uh, I'm not even going to throw them out because I don't want people to get pissed if it's not the, uh, the one they want. But I'm figuring that out, and I'll, I'll announce soon what the next bonus episode is going to be about. And until then, uh, have a great weekend. Please uh, don't impale anyone. God damn it, keep on sucking. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, We've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support so you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.